Welcome to this week's episode of Church Unscripted, and we're glad you're here with us. If you have not subscribed yet, please subscribe and then hit the like button, the notification bell, so you know when the episodes come up. Um, I've got Pastor Eric and Pastor David with me this week. Um, We're in the middle of our Nehemiah series, and we're really excited about sharing and talking today about Nehemiah. And um, on Sunday, Eric, you shared from uh, Nehemiah chapter two, the end of chapter two there, and um, you had, the first thought you had was, I think, pretty insightful and something that I think a lot of us think about, but we never actually uh, process through. And you started this week by saying, we all have a vision. I think that's very interesting. Your first thought was that a vision without a plan will always overpromise and underdeliver. That's both scary and disappointing. And you're wondering where the question is. It's scary and disappointing yeah. that it would underpromise or overpromise and underdeliver. So how do we develop a plan for that vision that God's given us? And, and David, feel free to share and let's let's talk mm-hmm. about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I might have misspoke a little bit. <laughs> uh, so I'm not changing my point or anything like that. Yeah, what, yeah. what I'm saying is, I, I think I perhaps uh, inaccurately assumed that that people are familiar with the revision. Since Sunday, I've had a couple of conversations where people have said, uh, you know, I've been a believer for years. I don't know what my vision is. Yeah. And I think perhaps it's probably because we're unfamiliar with what it actually means to have a dream or to have a vision. We're not sure if it's if it's related to a career or related to like a passion that you might have or even to your family. Um like for example, what if what if a what if a mother says I feel like the dream that God has put into me or the vision he's given me is right now I just need to be a mom. Uh, instead of saying, mm-hmm. I've got to start this whole initiative or this new career path or something like that. And I think that's a worthwhile conversation. So I guess before I answer your question, I so, think it's, so the vision doesn't have to be grandiose. It's no, not I like start no, an no, organization. No, no. It's no, not no. a career. It could be just do what God's given you to do right now. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I, I think if if you're a mother or a father, um, then you have to have a, a heart that is breaking for the salvation and the maturity of your kids, right? Yes. And so at this point, perhaps in a young mother's life, it might not be a good idea for God to just drop in this brand new vision or a dream. Maybe that'll come one day. But right now, it's I've already given you a dream. It's right mm-hmm. in front of you. It's your kids, and 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 then I've also had a couple of kids um, come to me and said, I don't know what my dream is either. And so it's another conversation of at what point can kids expect to have a dream from God? Mm-hmm. Um, at what point does God start giving kids visions? And I know that's that can sound very mystical a little bit and a little bit kind of mm-hmm. off the beaten path theologically. Um, and I don't know if I have the answer to that perfectly, but I do know that it's a little bit deeper conversation that I perhaps let it out to be on Sunday. So, well, that's, that's what this is for. Right? Yeah, that's so what we this can talk is about for. It more. Yeah, we can talk about it more. This but perfect. ask your question again. After so, so I give that qualification. So, how do we develop a plan for the vision God has for us? Like, how do we? Uh, oh, you yeah. know, like if we don't have a vision or a dream, or maybe it's not clear to us, that's one thing. But I think in some ways, pursuing and continuing to pursue God is where we start mm-hmm. with that trying to pursue a vision and a, and a, a dream. But, but how do we, once we have that vision, how do we develop a plan? That's a great question. And I want, I want to hear your thoughts too. But when I look at the life of Nehemiah, the first thing I see him do is get courageous. 
mm-hmm. and he wasn't willing to let the the fear or intimidation um, or perhaps the unknown stop him from pursuing it. But he had courage to, first of all, go to the king, get permission to go build a wall. He had the courage to ask for letters to the to the whoever owned the woods or something so he could have the timber. Um, and then he had the courage to ask for an army to go protect him. So I just love the fact that he had the courage enough to pursue it. I think that's a good starting point. It's to say, I'm going to pursue this. And then I think from there, there's more steps. Perhaps it's, it's to, um, um, it's, it's actually become aware of the entire scope of the project. So I actually had a good conversation with an elder today over lunch. And we talked about how um, before we as a staff or as a leadership team gets on stage and tells the church, here's what we're gonna do. We have to have a good idea of what that's gonna look like, how we're gonna do it, what the cost is gonna be, what the timeline's gonna be. And that's kind of what I said in one of my points. I'm probably jumping ahead of you no, in fine. terms of, you know, before you speak, be discreet. Um, and I think that's probably one of the steps that you need to work on. Although there's probably more. So uh, the, what the kind of key, steps are there? I think for me is to always be moving towards the vision that yeah. God's given you. Mm-hmm. Because um, for me, I'm a, I'm a hyper planner. Um, and so it, I can actually plan God out of, my, out of his vision for me. Sure. And so mm-hmm. um, I think there's a balance there between moving towards what God has called you to and planning the entire path without kind of consulting God, if you will. Um, that's what I love about Nehemiah is like, he started with prayer and fasting. Mm-hmm. Like we talked about that last week. And um, I think there's just so much importance in the plan to just listen to God, listen to the way that he's calling you and pulling you. Um, that's, that's my story. Like, I feel like when I was in eighth grade, God called me gave me a vision to be a worship pastor. Um, and there's, and I spent 10 years or well, since eighth grade till just three years ago, uh, I spent my whole life around it, never in it. And I'm like, God, is this actually a vision? Is this actually what you have called me to do? Like what is going on? Um, but if I would have gotten my way, I would have been leading worship my freshman year of college in a band that was traveling and all these things. Um, but he had a different path for me and I don't think I would be able to be living in this vision that he had for me without all of those other Mm -hmm. things. And I could have planned him right out of it. Um, so I think I've learned along my journey, like what it looks like to, to just keep making a step toward what God has called you to do. Yeah, I really like what you said there. I think I think it clarifies one of the things I said this weekend, and that is, you know, when God gives you a vision, do we really have the right to say not yet on it? Yeah. But I do think that there is an element of waiting on God's timing and then mm-hmm. keeping in step with the Holy yeah. Spirit Absolutely. to take the next step in whatever that one is. And yeah. so I think as I heard you talk about it, what I heard is that there's a time to prepare for the vision mm-hmm. and then a time to execute yeah. the vision. And I think what you said is, I believe God legitimately put a call in your life to be a worship leader when you were 12 or whenever that yeah. happened, right? Yeah. But at 12, you're not going to do that yet. Right. But when you are 12, you can learn how to play the guitar right. and you can learn how to develop your vocal cords yeah. and you can research what it looks like to worship in today's culture. And then after you go to school, after you graduate, when you have a family, whatever it is right now, it's time to execute on all the preparation you've done. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. I'm wondering perhaps if some people are right now in a preparation kind of yeah. stage, like what, what if, what if there is a young mother mm. who says right now, I don't, believe God has given me a vision Mm -hmm. except to be a mother, but I can see how someday he might call me to do this. Mm -hmm. 
uh, maybe now is a preparation time yeah. where you're getting to know a little bit more about what that might be. So on the day that he calls you to execute that vision, you're ready to go. Yep. You never step into the game without warming up. Mm-hmm. And I think this is very applicable to this. So yep. I appreciate your response. Well, I, I, I don't think that Jesus started his ministry necessarily when he wanted. I mean, we could say he did want to start it, but he was 30. Yeah. I mean, if he's the son of God, he could have started his ministry a lot younger. I mean, we hear about him at the temple at 12 right. and people are amazed. It's like, why didn't he start his ministry at 12 years old, you know? Yeah. And so, uh, David, as you were talking, one of the things I kept thinking of is even when we have a vision, sometimes we do this and we close our hand around that vision yep. and we say, this is how we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Thank you, God, for giving me this vision. Now I'm going to hold it in my hand. I'm going to I'm going to tightly yep. clench it. And then I've realized over my lifetime that we start to have to hold our hands open. Yeah. Okay, here's the vision God gave for me. When is that going to happen? I don't know. Well, and sometimes our interpretation of that vision is way off. Like when we when when we may see like God's calling me, you may feel like God's calling me to be a worship leader or whatever. Mm-hmm. But maybe it's just maybe it's just he wants you to pursue that so that you you maybe he has something on the other side or or something in the way on the way of that that then directs your path and clarifies that vision for you. Because I think that's what we can get ourselves in trouble with a lot too, is when we're like, well, God called me to be a pastor. Well, you're not exactly gifted in speaking or you're not like all these Mm -hmm. things, but maybe on that journey, God's clarifying and refining you um, to realize, oh, that's what it meant. Okay. He wants me to care for people in this way, not necessarily on a platform or on a stage or whatever that is. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, that's part of that open-handed thing too. Yeah. And I think in addition to him clarifying it, I think he also gives you a more healthy perspective of Mm -hmm. it. And I think for me, um, once I first felt this vision or this calling to be a pastor, it was this very broad perspective of what it means to lead a church, a very, very um, ignorant perspective of what it means. To, and all I had as- I a, can agree with that. Oh, Not for you, but for me, I'm like- All I had hard. as a reference were these nationally known mega church pastors who in every time they spoke, they could just drop people to their knees, right? And I thought, that's what I wanna be like, right? So that was what I thought God's vision for me was. However, the longer I've been in ministry, the more I've stepped into the clarity of his calling on my life, the more healthy of an understanding that is. Because now, um, if God would ever have that as part of my future, that'd be totally up to him, but I'm not grasping for that anymore. Because I've seen just how risky it is to be in that kind of a, a platform with that kind of position, with recognition, the number of those kind of leaders, not just in the church world, mm-hmm. but even the secular yeah. world who are falling because they can't bear the pressure of that fame, right? Yeah. Yep. I would be afraid of what would happen if, if my vision for God's calling in my life or my interpretation of it yep. actually played out. Well, it would be a disaster, yeah. perhaps. You have this. Like, yeah. You went from this to this, though. That's yeah, the you difference is you, you went open-handed. Yeah. And so there's, there's something I thought about towards the beginning of your sermon as I was listening that I think was a question we might all have mm-hmm. that are people, people that are watching this is, what do you guys think are some common reasons people do not pursue their dreams or visions? What, what's, what's things, what's your, I'm thinking common. Yeah, I'm speaking yeah, yeah. super he, He's general. asked all the questions so far. We're going to ask you that question. So your time to answer. Okay. What are some of the common reasons um, people don't pursue? I, I think fear. Fear of what? Fear of others, uh, fear of failure, fear of, of 
not it's like not feeling it's clear. Sometimes things is like, oh, did God really tell me to do that? Because I don't really like doing this. It makes me feel uncomfortable. Mm. Um, I think there's there's a lack of desire to wait. Like David, you were talking about like having God clearly tell you at a young age, like you're going to be a worship leader, you're going to be a worship pastor. Well. I had that same clarity at a young age, but trust me, if I was a pastor at that age, oh <laughs> man, it would have been terrible for the people around me. So I think I think people are not willing to wait for what that vision is, so they don't pursue it. Um, I think uh, a lot of people live with regret. Like, this is the thing I wanted to do. A common theme in Hollywood is this person that fell in love in high school and then they find their love 30 years later, 40 years later. I've seen it on all these different TV shows. Yep they find it and it's because they didn't pursue it in that moment um out of fear and so right i would say that's a, one of the primary things i see another thing is um i think people are scared and i don't mean that as fear i mean i think they're scared that uh if i do this i've got to go all in and if i go all in then I got my all my eggs in one basket. And I think that requires faith. And so we don't pursue our dreams and the vision God's given for us because we don't have enough faith. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I, I would say that there's these internal fears just like you described, but I think in tandem with those fears, our enemy loves to put out external pressure on us mm-hmm. uh, that together with our fear is, is something of an insurmountable uh, wall to break mm-hmm. through. And I'm remind, as you were talking, I was reminded of Luke chapter eight where mm-hmm. Jesus gives, and it's also in the other gospels, gives the parable of the sower and how the, there was seed that was, that fell on different kinds of soil, right? There was seed that fell, uh, what is it? Fell on the, fell on the path. It was trampled on the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground. When it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up in, in, with it and choked the plants. So other seed fell on good soil and it produced and yielded a crop, you know, 60, 30 and a hundred times over, right? Yeah. And I'm wondering, I think we interpret that as really a picture of salvation, right? And so people, you and I hear the gospel and for one reason or another, the enemy comes in and steals the truth away from it. And I'm wondering if you guys think that also applies with our calling. Hmm. Because even though Satan can't steal our salvation, what he can do is, is try to limit or hamstring our calling. Hmm our vision. And so what are some of the things, I guess, what are some of the thorns? What are some of the, um, I don't know, rocky ground or path yeah. environments yeah. that prevent us from well, stepping in? There's two, two things that I think happen. I recently had a conversation with someone and we talked about not this parable, but now in context, it makes a lot of sense. There's not a lot of people that haven't heard about Jesus in the United States. They haven't heard that name. Okay. They may not know much about him. I often encounter more people that are what what the world calls de-churched mm-hmm. or people that are uh, church adjacent or, you know, in, in Catholic faith, they call it lapsed Catholic, you know, that have some understanding of the church, but they've been hurt by another human being, mm-hmm. not Jesus, our savior, yep. but hurt by another human being. Mm-hmm. And then it looks like that where maybe at one point they were a leader in a church and they didn't like what something that happened and they got hurt and they just gave up on their faith completely. And I think that's really, really scary parable there. But David, you had something to say. I, I well, saw no, you. I was, I was going off of kind of what Eric was saying is like, I think um, one of the biggest hindrances to us living in our, in the vision God's given us is distracted, like living a distracted life. When I think about it, um, like early on in your sermon, you said that discipline is like the key to move vision forward. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I think, I know in my own life, like there's seasons where I'm very distracted 
whether that's video games or social media or just general busyness, mm-hmm. where I don't actually take time to listen to God. And so then I, I don't live out the vision because I'm not, I'm not listening. I I'm so distracted. So then when the seed of vision is dropped in on me, uh, it, the soil's just kind of rocky or th- filled with thorns or whatever it is, and it doesn't have space to bloom. And so it's almost a self-reflection of saying, like, am I, the, am I in a, a position in my life to listen and to actually receive the vision from the Lord? That's a good question. How do, how do people start to listen? Wow. Well, um, and listening is different than praying yeah. because we're talking yeah. to God and listening is yeah. like sitting there in silence or yeah, I mean, something else. I, <laughs> so. I've gone through season, really good seasons of that and I've gone through really bad seasons. Um, but I think one of the things is we have to, we have to intentionally be <clears throat> disciplined to put those distractions away. So for me right now, I found myself in a, a pattern where I would, uh, I'd come home, I'd play with the kids then I'd go to bed, but then I'd have my Nintendo Switch and I'd be playing like Rocket League all night long, you know? But then I'd wake up more tired and I wouldn't spend my time in the Word and all these things. So then I had to say, you know what? The Switch is only in the basement. Like, I'm not going to bring it up. And so I have to walk down the stairs to play the Switch. And that's almost like a of, too much work to walk down the basement. Well, it's just it's way a, too many. It's steps. a hindrance, right? <laughs> okay, yeah. Because I want to be with my family. I want to be with my wife after the kids go to bed. And so I was able to be with my wife playing video games on the couch, talking, you know, side by side. But you're distracted. But I'm right? distracted. Yeah. And so, like, just even like being disciplined in some of those areas, and I'm learning what it means to be disciplined. I feel like every week I'm learning new things. But like putting things in place to say. If I'm really going to play video games, which there's nothing wrong with playing video games, I'm not going to let it distract me from the things that are most important. So for other people, it might not be video games. Maybe it's YouTube. Yeah. Or maybe it's social media. Yeah. Or their, well, their Instagram well, delete, likes. Like, delete and, YouTube from your phone because yeah. now I have to sit at a computer yeah. in order to watch YouTube. And I'm not as easily going to carry my laptop around my house to watch YouTube. Maybe some people are. Maybe they need to put their laptop in, mm, in the basement. Yeah. I don't know. So the staff know this, but this is like annoying to some people on staff, but you know, I don't have my work email on my phone because it notifies me. I turn off all notifications on my phone Yep. Um, so that I can focus on like where I'm at. What's really annoying is somehow I keep having to do that. Anytime you download a new app, it's all like, oh, notify, notify, yeah. notify. And I think, I think what you're the, the side part of what you're addressing is we feel margin with things that are unimportant. Nehemiah didn't do that. I mean, if we look at this passage, he didn't do that. He actually was silent, went at night to look at the, yep. the um, he filled his extra time, his nighttime with, I'm gonna look at the walls. Yep. I'm not gonna tell anyone. That was where the discretion yep. is. But I think we find that we fill our margin time with things that are unimportant. Yep. And so, I mean, can can we talk about maybe how to develop a plan to deal with that? I mean, it's not just turning off notifications. It's if I have an hour here, what am I going to do with it? Maybe that's the question we should ask. Like everyone should ask themselves. If I have an hour, yeah, what am I going to do with an hour of time? 
am I going to just turn on the TV again or am I going to spend time with well, there, the kids? There's a place or? for that stuff. I mean, we can't be so rigid that we don't give ourselves any kind of mental break, right? So, yeah, yeah. But I think that if you can corral it so right. it doesn't overwhelm you, yeah. that's helpful. And so uh, there are so many resources out there. I mean, as pastors, we've been given some coaching in terms of some of what the data shows us mm-hmm. and, and then some of the recommendations that come from it. For example, if you're going to have a smartphone, only have it with you from like 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. or something like that. And you don't pick it up before 8 a.m. and you put it away for the night after 8 p.m. Or it's you set up um, limitations on your phone. Like you can only be on this app for so long. Now, again, you're going to have to have the discipline to stick to that, right? Because at any time you want to, you can, you can go it. grab your <laughs> phone, right? Which is part of what the, the emphasis on the discipline yeah. was for this weekend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can have a vision and you can say, I know the plan to get there, but if you have the discipline to stick to it, yeah. then you're kind of in trouble. How do, how do we develop discipline though? Because I, I feel like it's it's one thing to say, I know the vision, I'm going to be disciplined in it. And like, that's why New Year's resolutions like die, right? Yeah. It's right. the discipline. How do we develop discipline? Yeah, John, you mentioned something a while ago. Talk about the 28 days. 28 days. Yeah, 28. yeah, yeah. So, so uh, there was a point in pop psychology where they said in 28 days, you can change a habit. Yeah. The reality is it actually takes more like 63 days. Yep. And so the problem is there's less expectations. Um, I'm trying to remember what the, the book is, but the guy, the guy who was in the internment camp in Japan um, and also uh, even uh, John McCain that passed away recently, he talked about being in these POW camps and people thought they were going to leave. And so they lost resilience. They were like, we're going to be gone in a month. And those are the people that struggled the most at the beginning and, and potentially died just out of like a lack of desire to live. Hmm. Um, and then there was the second group of people that were like, well, we don't know when we're going to leave. And that group actually survived the POW camps because they were resilient and they created habits knowing that, hey, it's going to take a while and we don't know when that's going to happen, but we're going to just survive each and every day and we're going to mm-hmm. plug along discipline wise. And I think, I think that part of the problem with us as Christians is we get defeated too quickly. Like if God has a vision for us, it's not going to happen tomorrow. I remember leaving seminary and thinking, I'm going to lead a church. I'm going to write yep. books. <laughs> I'm going to speak at conferences. I'm going to do everything. And I, I think most pastors leave mm-hmm. like a training ground like that and say, I'm going to do all these cool things. And then we get hit with a brick when we get to a church. And it's like, oh, that's not at all what God has for me. It's not what I'm ever going to do. Um, and I can find joy in the fact that I'm intimate and close to my savior and that's all I need, you know? And I think sometimes we're grasping at things that are just not, not as important. Um, and we lose sight of it at day 28 because we give up (laughs) and we don't go to day 63 and we don't like, you think Nehemiah, I mean, if you look at chapter one and chapter two here and you read straight through this, this didn't happen overnight. Mm -mm. I mean, it might have happened quickly at the first part with his prayer and and, and everything with the mm. be, feeling grieved, but honestly, this was not something that happened slowly. Mm. Um, I also think, Eric, what even you're you're kind of addressing with with that or, or bringing that up is why do we give up so quickly? Is it because our expectations? I mean, I mean, I th- I think it could be. Uh, because one of the book I'm, books I'm reading right now is uh, The Habits of Highly Effective Leaders, right? Yeah. And the principle is very simple. It's you might have this grandiose plan of, of what you want to do and the accomplishments that you want to um, uh, do, but it all starts with little habits that you do today. 
And if you can continue to stand on the little micro habits, it's going to eventually build up like bricks into a building that actually accomplishes things. And so I so think- instead of getting bricks thrown at you like, like Nehemiah did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good analogy. But if you see, if, if Nehemiah saw all at once, wow, that's a massive wall. And there's no way we're gonna be able to get that done. It's too big of a project. But as he walked around the wall, and I think this is part of why he did it, he notices the different sections. And he said, okay, this section right here, this group of people can do. And it's gonna take them probably 30 days. But if they're walking on this, working on this section, then another group can work on that section. In fact, this coming week, we're gonna see how different groups of people worked on different sections of the wall. And together, mm-hmm. it didn't see, seem so much as an insurmountable task. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it became far more, more doable. And it's similar, like when you're in college, and the professor at the beginning of the semester gives you the syllabus, right? And you look at all the papers, <laughs> all the books, all the homework, all the tests. You're like, oh my goodness. But then when you break it down, you're like, okay, I'm going to focus on that one and that one this week. Yep. And now it's now it's in bite-sized chunks, right? And my kids love to tell me, my kids love to tell me the, the joke, you know, how do you eat an elephant, right? And the answer is so stupid, it's just one bite at a time, right? <laughs> and I think as dumb as that is, it's it's very applicable. So, so are we supposed to go to what about Bob and just take baby no, steps? We're not, so, you know, no, we're not. Baby nope. steps. Don't go there. <laughs> baby yeah. steps. Baby By the steps. way, half our listeners are too young to even know what that movie what is. What about Bob is? <laughs> oh man, I'm old. That's right. What is this? Yes. Or something like that. Yeah. One of the things I noticed though, is, is it's something we just kind of skipped over really quick in Nehemiah chapter two. Hmm. Um, and it was, as soon as he gets to, or to Jerusalem, um, he doesn't do anything for three days. And I think we just kind of skip over that. But I think what he was doing is he was holding himself back from this sense of anticipation. Mm. You can, as soon as God gave him this vision, you can imagine that every day since then, he was like, I can't wait to get yeah. there. I can't wait to get yeah. there. Let's go, let's go, let's go, right? But instead, when he was there and the wall was right in front of him, he did nothing for three days except just kind of rest. And I think what that did is it allowed him to get his mind in the right emotional uh, place mm. because if you jump into a vision or an idea mm. um, without having grounding then you can very easily make a whole lot of mistakes well and I have a question about waiting in a little bit because okay. there's some I think I think your sermon on Sunday one of the things I kept thinking about was there was a lot of things that imply waiting so like you talked about discretion so what God has put on your heart is so precious you must protect it by showing discretion and you gave some examples on Sunday, but I'm going to ask for some more and maybe some from David, because how do we live in that vision without always having to speak about it? I mean, like, let's be honest. You guys know my personality enough. If I'm excited about something, I'm like, like this is most of us. Like when we get excited about what God's doing, we're like, we got we to gotta keep moving. We got to do this. So how do we determine when to talk about that vision? You know, how do we not always speak of it? And how do we slow and pause in that? Because he did. That's You just brought that up, Eric. I mean, he waited three days. That was a long three days. I don't know if there's any symbolism there. Like, that's the whole resurrection. The whole world was changed in yeah. three days. Yeah. Nehemiah waited three days. And you could probably produce some of those, those messianic overtones to that passage. But I also think that there's a very practical one of, of not letting yourself jump the gun and get into something before you're mentally prepared for it. Hmm. Yeah. I, Go ahead. I guess Eric. I was thinking... Um, I think if, if if God gives us a vision, there's a there's a humility that has to be a part of that. Um, I think when we get ourselves in trouble is when we're like, I got a vision, for, I got a vision from God, and I'm gonna be this, and I'm gonna do this, and I'm gonna do that, and oh, my vision's better than your vision because yours doesn't come with a platform, and you know, you're just a stay-at-home mom, and I'm on, you know, I'm 
selling books and you know what I mean it, it kind of becomes a, a a talent contest or something I don't know but I think there's uh, the way you combat that is by just simply waiting in that like when the Lord gives you something I think it is wise to just sit and pray and fast over it mm-hmm. um, to the point where you are content with that vision in a way that it doesn't become pride. And I think maybe sometimes we can get a vision and jump right into it. And then all of a sudden we have a platform. And then you talk about these large pastors that are growing churches overnight. And I think there is an element of like, yeah, the Lord blessed that because you stepped into his, into the vision he had for you, but you also like took that vision and made it about you. Like it was never about you. So I think maybe that's, I don't know if that answers. That's part of it. Well, and I got two examples. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was, the only thing I was going to mention is when you said things right there, I thought of the difference between ambition and God's vision for you. Mm -hmm. And like, sometimes it's just ambition Mm -hmm. and we're clouded and we don't see that it's just ambition. It's not God's vision. I I wonder if those three days, I'm sorry. I'm just, I wonder if those three days he's like looking at the wall, just being like, are you sure this is it? Like, I want to make sure before I just step into it. Like he was almost like, pause, listen, make sure that I'm not getting myself into a mess. Like, because it was yeah. a mess, but it was like, he knew God called him to it. I don't know. No, I think he, I think there's some validity to that for sure. But um, one, one of the examples I was going to give, and I can't remember if I mentioned it in my sermon this weekend at either of the services, it was in my manuscript. Did I talk about how the, the mega church pastor got up at a leaders conference? Did I talk about that? I don't remember I don't that. I okay, so here's you, you, you talked about you talked about the church in Kennebville, but that was yeah, that's, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. that actually wasn't in my manuscript. But <laughs> <laughs> it's weird how that stuff happens sometimes. Uh, so here, here's the story. A few years ago, uh, there was a mega church pastor who got in front of a leaders conference and started talking about everything his church was doing. Like, look yeah. at all the outreach we're doing, all the the missions, all the campuses we have, and they start talking about their small groups. And they're like, we've got three thousand small groups going on right now, and in the audience were, were some of his staff, right? One of them was the small group's pastor at his church. And then he gets going on the small group, um, um, you know, vision. And he says, you know what, next year, and you know the story, I think, don't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, next yeah. year, yeah. we're going to build 10,000 new small groups. And everyone's like, whoa, that's amazing. Yeah, of course. Like, yeah. And then the small group pastor's face goes flush and, and he turns like, to another staff person. He's like, did you know about this? And he's like, no, did you know about this? And so, I mean, that, that's what can happen when you have this great vision without a plan and you don't work your way through it. Uh, I, made, I made a similar mistake, however, thankfully, in a far smaller scale, thankfully not Neither of you were here for it. <laughs> well, um, I, I, when you had, had talked to me about that story, I said, well, Eric, you've never done that to me yet. Yeah. Okay, right? <laughs> so, Just wait, I'm going to do it to you. Yeah, okay, yeah, no. He's going to do it right uh, now. Are you ready? Yeah. So, so when I first came to Brookside, and some people are going to remember this, and I'm super embarrassed by it. Uh, so, um, I was, so, you know, we need to make, make sure there's enough room for anybody who wants to come in, right? And so I thought, how do we make sure that all the seats are available and easy to get to for people who are coming in? And I was excited, this is gonna create a lot of growth, right? And so I pulled in one of your predecessors, the worship pastor, and I said, dude, I got this great idea. I'm gonna call it simple seating. 
Have you heard of this before? No, I haven't. <laughs> I can't it's a terrible idea. <laughs> so pretty much the idea was this. When you come into the sanctuary, we're going to usher you to the very front row and then to the next row, just kind of like a wedding party, right? Uh -huh. And we're going to fill up the front rows and work our way back. And so that way, anybody who's coming in late can have a seat right there. And so that next Sunday, I didn't talk to the elders or anything about this. Um, that next Sunday, I presented and said, hey, we're going to start simple seating. And when I explained to it, I got so much pushback. And the elders are like, did you really think through that one very well? And I did. Everyone's going to so, show up late to service. Oh, They're going to be like, I'm going to be in the oh, It was a disaster. <laughs> Thankfully, the elders were like, okay, you're brand new. We're going to give you a pass on this one. <laughs> but whenever you got a vision, dude, you've, you've got to make yourself aware of the scope of it. Yeah. You've got to, um, you have to understand the, the cost of it. I mean, that's what Jesus said. Whoever wants to build a tower, do they not first sit down and count the cost to see if they have enough to, to complete the project. And um, thankfully, the elder board has kind of graciously led us a staff through the process of not I mean, just having vision. We're not starting but. simple seating next week. <laughs> no, I'm just you know kidding. what I did? That next Sunday, after I got so much pushback, I brought the paper up on stage and I ripped it in half and I said, "Forget about all this. This is a, this is, this is a disaster." I love that. I love that, man. So, so, so one thing one thing Nehemiah does here that I think is interesting is he goes in the cover of night. Yeah. So he does that because he knows what's coming. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes you need to bring people along with you. Mm -hmm. So that's part of the plan yeah. is sometimes the plan is too early. In that case, you would have found out real quick if you had gone to the elders first or some of these key people mm -hmm. that said, that's not a good idea. You would have found out real quick and you wouldn't even done it. Mm -hmm. You would have moved on to the next thing, whatever so, God was so sharing question, with you. So. so one of your points was, mm -hmm. um, are you going to let, other people's strong opinions derail you from God's purpose. Mm -hmm. And I was, I'm, I'm wondering, like, even in that instance, um, how do we balance the wisdom from others and the call from God? Because maybe God did call you to start simple seating and the elders are saying, no. No, he did not call no, me. But no, but not know, in any it's way. A, it's a, it's it's a we're talking example. hypothetical. Yeah, hypothetical. Okay. But say that was like right. the best idea right. on the planet. Yeah. And God called you to that. Yeah. How do you how do you balance the wisdom That's of a others? Great question. Yeah. While honoring the call of God on your life. So so scripture is abundantly clear. Uh, on wise counsel. Mm. I mean, everywhere he says, find wise counsel, get wise counsel. Because I don't know about mm. you, but I'm not smart enough to say, I know exactly the heart of God and the mind of God without any of the rest of the body of Christ right. speaking into it. Mm. I think what we have to do though, is be very careful to know the distinction between wise counsel and opposition. Mm. So opposition because they don't like your vision, because they don't like your authority, will find whatever reason they can to oppose you, mm -hmm. right? Wise counsel, because they love you and because they want to support you, mm -hmm. if they think that it's not the best idea, they're going to voice their opinion. That's why I love the elder board that we have, yeah. because I believe that it's a group of men who do love us mm -hmm. and who do want the best for not just us, but for Brookside. Mm -hmm. And if they see that it's not the best idea yet, idea yet they're going to say, um, you might want to go back to the drawing board on this one, or you might want to massage it a little bit, get some more details to it before we as an entire leadership team uh, get unified around it and pull it. And that's, that's the same with the LED wall that we've been talking about. Yeah. There's no way we would ever have come to the stage with that idea unless the entire staff and elder board first agreed to move forward yeah. with well, it. And we brought them yeah. with us, like yeah. we, we were doing it together. And I think that's one of the keys to preparation yeah. that we sometimes miss is even with the vision for our own lives, or our families, yeah. like, um, do I, do I have a vision for my family? Yeah, I do. Mm -hmm. And within that vision, I've got to bring my whole family with me. 
you know, and if that means talking to my wife about how we parent our kids, how do we like, how do we approach going to church? We want our kids to love being in the church. Mm-hmm. I mean, love it. And you hear stories about pastors' kids and them struggling. And I'm like, well, I want my kids to love yeah. being here. Yeah. And so what does that look like? And how do we do that? Yeah. Um, so you, you mentioned a very succinct thing at, at the end of your sermon with the take-homes. But right before that, mm-hmm. I thought of something because you were talking about opposition. And you said, as soon as you start, the opposition shows up. And I think that's very true of a vision. Mm-hmm. Um, what you just said, I think the one thing to add is if there's not fruit, God's not producing fruit. Sometimes it's, it's worth cutting it off. Mm. Right. I mean, if it's, it's not just opposition, wise counsel, Mm. like sometimes wise counsel can say there's no fruit here. So let's put our efforts over here, you know, and sometimes you can shift that. But, um, do we always need to encounter opposition if we live in God's vision? I don't know. Why or why not? I, I don't know. I think it's just a simple reality. And I'm not talking about, let's take this conversation outside of the church. Let's put it okay. into the home. Okay. For example, okay. I was talking to my wife about this and she brought up a very, very good point on this. And, and our kids are at that age mm. where we, we not just have the obligation, we have the privilege of teaching them biblically based God's view on sexuality and marriage. Mm-hmm. And so it's the whole birds and bee conversation, right? <clears throat> Which you, which you, uh, uh, <laughs> wait, wait, are you going to have the birds and bees with us? <laughs> nope. Okay. Okay. okay <laughs> Papa Eric. <laughs> That's not awkward at all. No way. Uh, but when you have it with your kids, right? It's, it's Heather made a good point. It's you have to have those conversations with your kids because that's God's vision. Yes. That's biblical vision for your kids. Right. Because if you don't, they're going to see it in the TV they watch. They're going to see it in the, in the, the conversations and the comments of the kids in at class, right? And so as soon as you start to in, um, um, embed your kids with a biblical vision of sexuality or anything for that matter, right? Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden, I think Satan's gonna take advantage of that and start to put in front of their eyes uh, illicit sexuality. And so it's a constant opposition. Well, and I think, I think we, can't, we can't, as parents, as Christians, delegate that, mm. that authority that's from God's word. Right. I mean, in, in reality, I, can we anyone think of a more awkward conversation with your kids? Right. I mean, that's like, like Heidi, my wife has said, John, you lean into the awkward too much. And I'm like, I don't, I'm not afraid of those conversations. Yeah. But on the other hand, right. like having those conversations, every moment's a teachable moment. My right. kids were watching something the other day and there was something, it was like G rated, but there was something in the show that was just not a biblical worldview that I was very clear on. I said, uh, we're not going to watch this anymore. And my oldest picked up on it and it led to a teachable conversation with my nine-year-old. My other kids had no idea what was going yeah. on. Mm-hmm. And so I'm thinking in my mind, I'm like, that moment wouldn't have happened if I wasn't willing to right. lean into it. And so I think that's that's some of the preparation. But the question was about opposition. You're, you're saying flat out, you will always encounter opposition. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's because it's not necessarily a formula, it's, it's a person who's opposing us. Mm. And okay. so, so Satan knows when you are trying to implement Jesus-centered vision into your life and your family. And so he, wow. knows that, he knows the right times to attack and to pressure you and to give temptation in your life. And that's why I said, I mean, the moment that you begin to live out a God-given vision, that's when I think the spiritual opposition starts to come. Now there's all kinds of other opposition, political opposition perhaps, or corporate opposition, whatever it is, right? But I think the most dangerous kind is the spiritual opposition, which actually, if I could bring it back into the church for a moment, yeah. I had a great lunch with a, an elder this, this 
today. And um, Luke was talking about, you know, how do we as a church, if our vision is to build Jesus-centered homes, how are we empowering our families to do that? Mm. And so how are we empowering our families to have conversations with their kids about the LGBTQ community? Not to compromise our biblical integrity, but to love them with the love of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. How do we empower our parents to do this? How do we empower our parents to have the birds and bees conversations in a biblically honoring Jesus-centered kind of way? So it's, it's a good conversation on the moment we start to implement that kind of vision for our church. Uh, I feel like parents are going to feel the pressure to have it more mm. because they're going to experience spiritual attack on their kids more. Mm. Yeah. And I, I think, I, I just don't know how you can escape that kind of op- opposition. Well, and you, you can't escape opposition to a Christian worldview in the culture in the United States. It just won't happen. It just in my lifetime, I've seen the shift um, culturally, but to give context, if you're talking about the history of the world and going back to even the first century and some of biblical times, you know, the Bible was just banned in a school. Did you hear about this? I heard about that. Yeah, a Bible is because there's so much violence in the Bible. There's so much, uh, there's incest, there's misogyny. There's all these different things. And they were like, oh, we're going to ban this. So sin is not new. (laughs) The difference is now too much of our culture says, we were, why would we talk to our kids about that? Why would we? And the reality is you are responsible before God with your children to have those conversations. And there's no other way out of it. And David, I don't know if you have something to add. You have five kids, so I They're mean, all little, so we're still- Oh, oh. We're still, <laughs> still, we still got a few few years, maybe. Okay, <laughs> okay, okay. well, it, I just think, I think there is opposition. I think we can't mistake opposition with just going in the wrong vision. So, I mean, you brought up parenting and then in the church specifically, but I think sometimes we uh, see opposition and we're like, oh, this must be God's plan for me. And sometimes it's just God saying no. Like, I think there's some of that. Like, I mean, let's be honest. Like, like David, what you don't know is I had an electric guitar at one age. You don't want to see me on the, the worship team, okay? We've talked about this at, at nauseum. So I'm like, no. So you're, you're taking home. I think you, you could have broke it down to three words. Build, speak, and then stand up. And that was like really, really simple as far as filling God's vision. And I think... The first one, first question I have about that is, is before you build, count the costs is what you said. What are the costs of living out God's vision? What was it for you when you said, I'm going to be a worship pastor? What was the cost? Um, when you're building, not before you were a worship pastor. Hmm. I, I feel like the, I feel like it was, uh, laying down my own pride because, uh, it costs me kind of an identity. Like, cause as soon as you, it's easy, especially in the church, like with titles and things to get your identity wrapped up in those things. Mm -hmm. And so I think the cost for me was like, just do the dirty work and you don't get, you don't get the title. Like Mm -hmm. I was around, I was in ministry for many years before becoming a worship pastor or worship leader and it was very much, I was around it, I was in it, but I was not the the worship pastor, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was just the cost of just laying down my pride and being like, I'm just going to serve until I get called into that vision that God has given me. Um, and there's still, I mean, there's still like, I would say in the building process, like you see the vision, like you see... 
Like for me, you see a worship pastor, you're like, oh, that's amazing. I get to sit in my office and play guitar all day. That is and, what you do all day, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. There's a piano in your office. Maybe yeah. you play piano. I play I piano know. all day. Like, you know, but that's not, that's not what being a worship pastor is. Wait, wait. Should we have an episode of Church Unscripted called The Dark Underbelly of Actually Working <laughs> in a Church? church. <laughs> right, Unger- undercover, undercover Church. church. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Dude, we should do that. Eric can dress up as different people. Yeah. That'd be awesome. No, but not I'm, a good idea. <laughs> you get a beard. Okay. A beard and long hair. <laughs> That's what they always do on Undercover Boss. Come on. But no, like, but no one tells you, yeah. like, hey, people aren't going to like what you mm-hmm. do. Or they're not, they may like this, but they're not going to like that. And you're going to have to talk to this person. And there's going to be this spiritual battle. And there's going to be people that, you know, disagree with you and those kinds of things. And so I think even in, in the vision that God has given for me, like, I don't think I even counted the cost. I didn't realize how much of my mental space was going to be taken up with conversations and things. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? Right and so now. I think I would have had a more realistic vision had I spent more time uh, learning mm-hmm. some more things about what it's like to actually work in a position like that. One of the costs that, that Heather and I um, have, have talked about, it's not all of it, it's just one of them, and it's true for all three of us, and that is that we don't get our weekends free. And, and mm-hmm. when, when we have several friends who are going to the lake on the weekends or doing a quick weekend trip to Indianapolis, we don't get to do that except for maybe a couple of weekends a year, right? When we're off. Yep. And so for me, it's, it's Saturday evening after dinner. I'm already in preaching mode. And so I go yeah. to the office, I practice, I finish it up. Um, and when you're like, it'll be great to go do that. Oh, wait, we can't do that because the kids are off on Friday. And then we literally have like 24 hours. So one of the costs is if you want to be in ministry like this, you have to sacrifice your weekends or at least most of them yeah. um, to do what you need yeah. to do. Well, and so I think for everybody listening, there may be not in ministry, yeah. right? But right. Oh, and by the way, l- let me give a huge high five to our wives, by the way. Oh yeah. <laughs> for that very reason. I mean, I mean, I feel bad for my wife because she's got a lot of friends who do this and yeah. I say, go and do it and go hang out and stuff. And so, but, but a lot of times she's like, no, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be at church. Yeah. And so I don't think I'm learning more and more and more that there are not too many women mm. that, that simply have the guts to be a pastor's wife, <laughs> like my wife does, mm. and like your no, wives do. No. Yeah. And it takes That's a true. special kind of woman to do that. So high five to my wife and your wives and every other pastor's wife wait, out wait, there. Wait, wait, now me. they have to watch this like <laughs> over and over and remind themselves of that, right? Because it's, it's a hard thing. Well, no, no, no. It no, is no, hard. No, no, they don't, no. You should you be the your wife. You should oh, be the one I, to I'm remind your wife. My, yeah, okay, all right, all right. He has so much to learn, doesn't he? I know. Oh my goodness. Watch out. I'm just, I'm just messing with you guys. <laughs> so, so, I mean, in terms of the costs, yeah. like everything is going to have a cost. Yep. And so I think sometimes we like the other side of the equation. So there's costs over here. And then there's the joy that we receive mm-hmm. from that vision. And we forget, we think about the joy, like the joy of leading worship, the joy of preaching. And then we forget about the other costs until we encounter those costs. And there's this atomic explosion. Right that hits us, um, like like when you become a pastor and you realize mm, these sheep, the people that that God describes as sheep that really we want to shepherd and encourage, they're gonna bite us. And yet they're our best friends. You know, like I really like these people, but then they bite me and I don't know what to do about that. And so we don't think of those costs um, when we have a vision. There's a second part of this that you said, 
be careful be, before you speak, be discreet. So don't speak up. And Nehemiah waited. He did that three days. Then he went out at night, which I think was discreet too. He's hiding a little bit. What's some more examples of discretion? You use some on Sunday, but I feel like discretion's not um, something we do in our culture. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to shout from the rooftops. Uh, the dopamine hit we get from getting the latest news or the latest social media thing or whatever's happening. So that's how we live our lives when we verbalize things with friends and family. So how do we, how do we, that, be that's a good question. This actually is, is probably a, a good challenge perhaps to end on. I'm not, I want to cut you guys short, but this feels like something that people I think could really use. Yeah. And that is develop the discernment um, on, on who is giving you advice. Mm-hmm. Because there are some people who might sound like they're well-intentioned and well-loving, but are actually oppositional. Mm-hmm. And so develop the discernment on who you're talking to um, and make sure that your vision and God, God's a dream for your life is protected by not allowing the naysayers to come in and derail you from it. Mm-hmm. And so discernment between the opposition and the wise counsel. And that might take a while to figure out, but in the meantime, be careful who you in a sense, let the cat out of the bag too. So we'll, we'll end on that. I, I have just an aside. At one yeah. point in my life, I had a three by five card and I wrote on that three by five card, five names. Mm-hmm. And those five names are the people that I'm gonna allow to have that wise counsel influence on my life. Like, it's not that I don't listen to anybody else. It's not that I don't receive information from people. It's that these are the people that God's put in my life to have that wise counsel with. And maybe five is too, too few, but sure. I think many of us have like 40, 50 people on our list when we really should have five. Yeah. And legitimately, if you look at Nehemiah, Nehemiah's list was pretty short. Mm-hmm. And some people that thought they should be on the list weren't on the list. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we need to be okay with, with responding to those yeah, people. That's so, a great challenge. Create so, a list. Yeah, create a list, guys. So this week, next week, we're actually only going to do the questions you send in. So please comment below on YouTube or text us at 260-250-4700 with questions. We want to use those for next week's episode. So like and subscribe, hit the notification bell so that you can know when the next episode of Church Unscripted is on. Thank you for watching with us.